You've probably heard this expression in one form or another. If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Isn't that true? So often in life, we think we've got things all figured out. We know exactly where we want to go, and we think the universe is just going to line up exactly the way we want it to. We've laid out our route. We start off confidently, and then stuff happens, and we end up in a completely different place. I mean, all of you transplants who grew up in another part of the world, how else do you explain coming to New Jersey? If you weren't born here, did you ever think you'd end up living here? I know that's true for me. I'm an Indiana boy and never thought that I'd end up in New Jersey or even more amazing that I would love it here. We plan, God laughs. How often has that happened in your life with a job or a move or a relationship or a, a big decision? You prayed about it, thought you knew what God wanted you to do. You tried to be faithful to his will, tried to be sensitive to the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit but things didn't go the way you thought they would. And now you have to deal with a new reality that wasn't in your playbook. As people of faith, how do we handle that? How do we handle the unexpected when God leads us somewhere we didn't plan on going? The Bible tells us that this confusion about our plans and God's direction you know, has been going on for a very long time, from Adam to Abraham to the apostles, their plans and God's plans, well, they didn't always line up. It's really a universal phenomenon for people who seek to follow God. Plenty of stories and verses in Scripture about this. Let me give you just one of them from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or as another Bible version puts it, We make our own plans but the Lord decides where we will go. We make our plans. And it's a little bit frustrating, a little bit of a, of a mystery how our plans intersect with God's plans, how our thinking you know, meshes with God's will. I mean, in Scripture, we're told over and over again that planning is a good thing. We're, we're told to plan. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, Jesus says that people who want to be his followers should be like an architect who, who plans out the cost of building a tower before laying the first brick, or, or like a general who considers the consequences of going to war before he commits his troops to battle. Planning is a good thing. We're supposed to think ahead. We're not supposed to you know, just go through life randomly or, or thoughtlessly, but purposefully using the brain that God gave us to find the best way forward, using our intelligence, hopefully, you know, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, but to make plans for the future. But here's the key. We have to be flexible. We have to be flexible. Whatever plans we make, we have to be prepared for a lot of detours. You see, I believe God has our end destination well under control. He knows our ultimate destination and his providence is at work over all things he does have his gracious hand on our lives and he promises to get us where we need to go he's never late never asleep at the switch never distracted never surprised we can claim that great promise from jeremiah 29 11, where god says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope 
and a future. I believe we can claim that promise of God's guidance and direction. But I also believe, and I consistently try to teach, that you have to read every verse of the Bible in its original context and not just kind of clip it out of thin air. You have to know what that promise meant to the people to whom God first gave it so that then you can understand it properly for your life. In the context of Jeremiah, well, he's an Old Testament prophet speaking God's word to the ancient people of Jerusalem around 600 B.C., Jeremiah has the very unhappy job of telling the people of Judah that because they have been so unfaithful to God, the Lord is going to bring judgment on them. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and they are going to be taken en masse as captives by the Babylonians, forcibly relocated to what is now modern-day Iran. All of them. But God promises to bring them back. That's God's good plan for their future. But first they would have to go through the confusion and the calamity of captivity in Babylon. There would be some serious detours before they would experience God's blessing. God has a gracious long-term plan for them. But it is not instantaneous. It is God's promise of this good future that becomes their hope. And that hope is what gets them through the coming hardship. The hope of a good future is what kept them going. And God was true to his word. He brought the people back to Jerusalem about a hundred years later under Ezra and Nehemiah. God's good plan happened, but not the way the people thought it would or should happen. So if you think that your life is going to be a nice straight line, you're probably in for a rude awakening. There will be twists and turns, dead ends and roundabouts. God will get you to the right destination, but in his timing, and you have to stay flexible. So we plan, and God laughs. In many ways, I think that describes how I feel about this past year. God is carrying out his plan, but not the way I thought it would go. God must be laughing. Because all my plans for the church in 2013 and 14, they didn't materialize. I mean, it's my job to give leadership to the elders and the staff and thinking about the future health of our congregation, you know, our little part of the body of Christ. And so I spent a lot of time looking ahead and praying about the direction God might want us to go. And last year at this time, I thought I had some pretty good ideas about where we needed to go as a congregation. Areas of growth and, and things that, that I felt we really needed to pursue. And they didn't happen. Not one of them. Not one. I thought we would be in a very different place now than where we were a year ago. But we're not. I thought we needed to move off the plateau we were on and take some bold steps to kind of reignite our vision and purpose as a local congregation. But in fact... We're basically in the same place we were last year at this time. Now, don't get me wrong. Good things did happen throughout the year. Great things. People coming to Christ, people growing in their faith, lives being touched through our outreach and mission. Great things happened, but not necessarily the things that I thought would happen. You know, a large church like ours is really a very complicated ecosystem. There are many different aspects to our church life that, that affect each other and need to be kept in balance for the ecosystem to stay healthy. People and resources, staff, the facilities, 
uh, everybody's personalities and feelings, finances, leaders, volunteers, ideas and programs, schedules, and, and much, much more. We not only juggle all these internal things, but our church life is also impacted by what is going on in the external world. The economy, local and world events, the social media culture, we don't live in isolation from, from what is taking place in the world around us. And so part of a, of a leader's job is to look into the future to anticipate the problems and issues that might threaten our spiritual or functional health and then to make plans to take us down the right path. So it's my job to work with the elders and the, the staff and the key leaders and plan for our future. And in order to keep our church healthy and thriving, we first of all have to stay committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the authority of the Bible, to the work of his kingdom, and to our core values and beliefs as a congregation. And only then do we begin to map out the practical steps that we should take in order to walk in God's will. And so last year, working with a variety of elder teams, I'd laid out a new staffing plan to move us through the next five to 10 years with a number of new positions that I thought we, we desperately needed, including new pastoral staff, uh, additional staff for our new community church ventures. We had plans in place to plant a second new community site. We looked at ways to expand our, our worship services by adding a Saturday evening service. We even dreamed about adding a whole new internal kind of connecting ministry. And we explored some options to increase our office and, and storage space. The elders started studying our relationship with our denomination and the many pressure points that, that make that relationship a very uncomfortable one. And quite frankly, after all that planning and praying and preparing, None of those things ever made it to first base. Everything just kind of went on hold. I planned and God laughed. Well, why? Why did none of those things materialize? Well, on one level, some practical issues kind of popped up. Last summer, we experienced a serious downturn in our financial giving just at the time when I was hoping to significantly increase our personnel budget. That just stopped a lot of things dead in their tracks. And now 10 months later, our, our giving has started to turn around, but at the time, the finances presented a significant hurdle to our growth, and it is still uh, wisely an ongoing concern for our elders. We also recognize that we have a lot of people who, who love this church, love being involved in what we do, but who are not committed to supporting the church with their financial giving. Many people give only the bare minimum and don't take seriously the responsibility of Christian stewardship. Giving is an afterthought, quite frankly, not a spiritual discipline where people seek to honor the Lord with their finances. So that stopped a number of things at the get-go. And second, there was a recognition that we have too few people doing too much of the work. And adding additional programs on top of what we were already doing, well, it was just going to push our faithful servants right over the edge. I mean, to go ahead with the things that we were contemplating would have, would have really overstressed our best people. And I think would have done damage to them physically and, and emotionally and spiritually. Instead of leading people to a deeper faith, we'd be just driving people to a more frantic, unhealthy, active lifestyle. 
we all simply would just wear out. And we continue to struggle with, with getting people engaged in serving in the ministries of the church. And quite frankly, I'm tired of asking people to serve on our setup teams for New Community Church. Unfortunately, the, you know, the 2080 rule seems to be very true, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we can't take significant steps forward unless that ratio changes. We have to broaden our base of volunteers because we can't continue just to pile more and more on the shoulders of the people who are already serving. People have to move from being spectators to being servants, from consumers of, of Christian programs to a real sense of true Christian community. And that means serving. And third, there was a realization that many within our church family do not really have a deep understanding of their own faith, nor do they practice the basics of what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ. We're growing, which is a good thing, but with numerical growth comes the understanding that what is most important is to see people grow spiritually. In general, we've discovered that people know, you know bits and pieces of the faith, but overall, folks do not seem to have a comprehensive Christian worldview that leads them then to live effectively for the Lord. We have only a, a kind of a marginal understanding of the Bible or of how to pray or of how to share one's faith. And time seems to be our number one enemy. People don't feel that they have the time to invest in learning and growing their faith, and that's a problem. You see, the central issue for any Christian church is not numerical growth, but spiritual health. And I believe, as Rick Warren teaches, that when churches are healthy, numerical growth will just be a natural byproduct of that. I believe Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and the local church is God's plan for accomplishing his purposes on the earth. I mean, it is really, I think, breathtaking to see what happens when a local church gets it right. Lives are changed. Families are, are strengthened. People meet Christ for the first time. You know, we have unprecedented opportunity here in north central New Jersey because we're surrounded by people who don't know anything about Jesus Christ. I think in the whole 276 years of our history as a congregation, I don't think we have ever been more poised to make a greater impact for Christ than we are right now. The fields are white for the harvest. But that can only happen through Holy Spirit-filled, spiritually maturing, healthy people who understand the basics of faith and who are living it out every day. No more partial commitment to Christ. We have to be all in with Jesus, and, and that's a pretty radical step. And fourth, I think God wanted to teach me to really trust Him and His timing. All the time that I was making plans and I was thinking about the future of the church, I was beginning to forget that it is his church, not mine. The church is Christ's body. He's the one who launched the church in Jerusalem on that first Pentecost Sunday. He was the one who christened it with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was the one who promised that he would build his church and even the gates of hell would not overcome it. So not only did I need flexibility in my thinking about how my plans you know, meshed with God's plans, I also needed a good dose of humility. Humility. Enough to recognize that God knows what he's doing. And I need to trust him 
and his timing. I should plan, but ultimately I have to recognize that God has got to be the one who makes things happen. When I try to force my plan to work, it doesn't work. And that's true for you too. What I needed to do is surrender every day to the Lord, to do each day's work to the best of my ability, but then in trust to leave the results up to him. And so personally, I take a lot of inspiration from these words from Mother Teresa, who worked with the dying on the streets of Calcutta. She said, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. We cannot all do great things, but we can do small things with great love. What I do, you cannot do. But what you do, I cannot do. The needs are great, and none of us, including me, ever do great things. But we can all do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. Small things with great love. That's the focus God gave me this past year. After all, it is his church, and he knows what he's doing, and his timing is perfect. You and I can and should be engaged in using all our abilities to build a healthy church, but we cannot control all the variables. God knows the future, and we don't. So nothing takes him by surprise, and we have to trust him while prayerfully moving forward. There are some things that lie in our path that threaten our health and future as a congregation. The most pressing being our relationship with our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA or the PCUSA. It's no secret that I and many other pastors believe that our denomination is simply unraveling at the seams, evidenced by the massive and continuing membership loss over the past 30 years. The PCUSA is now less than half its size that it was in 1983, from 3,131,000 to 1,760,000. It is a dramatic drop. It is a ski slope. And the angle of decline is increasing with no real national or regional strategy to turn it around. Half of our denomination's 10,000 churches have fewer than 89 members and no installed pastor. Half. That means that they are barely hanging on by their fingernails. I and many others don't really have any hope for the PCUSA as a human institution because the system itself is broken and I think beyond repair. The national and regional leadership is, is deeply entrenched and, and thoroughly manipulates the system so that it can't be changed. It's going in one direction, and that's downhill. As a local congregation, we've done a lot to protect ourselves from the debacle that is the PCUSA. We've shielded the congregation from the church politics and the theological mess that it's in because it would drive you crazy and would really distract us from doing what God has called us to do. So we don't talk much about denominational issues because most people here really don't care. They don't really care about the larger denomination. They like what we're doing here and see this local church as their spiritual home, but we have to be concerned because the denomination holds our property and trust. But our National General Assembly will be meeting starting June 14th. And that means a lot of headlines in the news about the controversial decisions that will be made. It's very likely that the national leadership will publicly endorse gay marriage and gay clergy. It's very likely they'll throw Israel under the bus by promoting a, a very left-wing Palestinian peace plan. And worst of all, they will most likely endorse a type of, of Christian universalism 
that undermines a biblical belief in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. And those are just a few of a laundry list of issues that are symptoms of the deep problems within the PCUSA. The main issue goes back to a really a monumental shift away from the historic authority of Scripture over what we believe and how we live. And that's been going on for decades. None of this should come as a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention to the denomination over the last 30 or more years. Whenever Scripture is abandoned as the supreme authority in all matters of faith and life, then the door is open to any and all kinds of errors. I mean, sure, there's lip service about honoring the Bible and our historic beliefs, but in practice, Scripture is treated like a, like a dusty relic that isn't relevant to today's issues. It's not seen as a, as a life-giving, decision-influencing <clears throat> force to obey for today. So it's set aside. I mean, sure, people will kind of cherry-pick individual verses out of the Bible to lend support to whatever social cause is the hot issue of the day, but there's no sense that they actually believe all of Scripture is inspired by God and that our lives and behavior need to be judged by Scripture and not the other way around. <clears throat> Denominations are very human institutions, and it's easy to see the quagmire that they fall into whenever Scripture is abandoned as the rule of life and faith. When a denomination or a local church loses sight of the gospel, God's grace to sinners through Christ, as well as the life of holiness expected by God in believers, then that denomination or local church, it really no longer has anything to offer people <clears throat> and so decline is inevitable. There are churches that are growing in the world, churches that preach the gospel centered on the person and the work of Christ. Christianity is actually growing globally, especially in Africa and Asia and South America, because churches are preaching the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to save all who believe. And that power remains despite the changing whims of denominations or local presbyteries. And if you'd like to pray for our denomination, <clears throat> excuse me, there's going to be a prayer gathering this Wednesday night at 7.30 in the sanctuary. And believe me, we need all the prayers that we can get. So we plan, God laughs. As we move into the next year of ministry, I'm committed to do my best in thinking and planning and praying for our church uh, our future as a local church family. I hope you will join me in that commitment. Find your place of service and ministry. We will move forward, hopefully with flexibility and humility, because we trust that God knows what he's doing. And as it says in Psalm 20, verse 4, may he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you're a great God. You're a big God. And your ways are not our ways. We know that our thoughts are not your thoughts. And yet, Lord, we're trying to get in step with what your spirit will do. We just thank you, Lord, for this congregation, this church, for the way you are honored here, for the way people do serve you and love you. And we just want to stay continually committed to you, Lord, in every step forward. So guide us into the summer, guide us into the fall, guide us into the future. We do pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come upon our denomination, come upon each church and light a fire there, Lord, if people would be willing and be open. But most importantly, Lord, come upon our church again with your holy fire, and may we truly be your body 
in this broken world. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.